saving money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. All right, everybody, how are we doing tonight? Um, super excited for this show. Um, I've absolutely loved every single interview, show, and everything that this man has done. Um, so I won't keep you guys too long in the very introduction to this show. So um, without further ado, let's rock and roll, guys. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty, physical, and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Good evening, everybody, and I would love to welcome to the show, Mr. James Sexton. Hey, Kyle. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Well, uh, as I said in the introduction, I've loved all your interviews and everything you got to say, and uh, you changed my mind on a few things when it comes to marriage, and you know, I am a happily married man, but um, I know you're not seeking to change that for me, so uh, why don't you give everybody a... I am not. It is cheaper to keep her, and you seem like you got a good one. You might be playing above the rim, actually, so I think you got (laughs) to... You got to stick with what you got for sure. I think you're not going to do better, you know? So. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, so why don't you give everybody a quick introduction to yourself and we'll just uh, kind of rock and roll from there. Yeah, sure. I'm Jim Sexton. I'm a divorce lawyer primarily um, in New York City. Um, I uh, am an author. I, I wrote two relationship books um, that were sort of not what you'd expect from a divorce lawyer. Um, they're, they're books about how to stay in love and how to stay in a good relationship. They're basically like a, like a mechanic who's watched cars fall apart. You know, I, I've watched a lot of Done marriages a lot of fall apart. Years. That's right. So you learn like where are the, where the breaks start to go and where the things start to feel strain. And mm-hmm. I felt like, well, you know what? I've spent 20 plus years facilitating the demise of unhappy marriages. Maybe it'd be good to sort of give back by trying to say, Hey, Here's the things to keep you out of my office. So my book, uh, my first book was called, um, if you're in my office, it's already too late. A divorce lawyer's guide to staying together. Um, and my second one's a, a book called how to stay in love, practical wisdom from an unlikely source. And, um, yeah, I, 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 those books came out 2018, 2019, and I did a lot of media when they first came out. You know, I did a bunch of episodes of the Steve Harvey show and Rachel Ray and a bunch of other types of things I did access Hollywood over the years. But maybe about three months ago, I got a call from uh, Mark Liotta from Software Underbelly. And he said, uh, you know, I, I want you to come in and do an interview with me. And I said, well, I, I'm not a fentanyl addict or a prostitute, so I don't know that I'm a good fit. And uh, he said, well, no, I'm, I'm actually looking to, to do some people that have sort of interesting or fringe jobs or maybe interesting perspectives. He said, and I, I really have seen some of your stuff and I really like your point of view. So I said, well, I don't really think it you know, this might be a waste of your time, but okay, you know, like I'll, I'll do it. And I went in, sat for an hour and just kind of spit. And um, we finished it. And he said to me, this thing's going to get 4 million views. I'm telling you right now. He's like, I've done thousands of interviews. It's one of the best interviews I've ever done. 
And I really thought he just probably says that to everybody. Like, this is like his thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And it went up on a Saturday. And by the afternoon, it had like 1.5 million views. And then a couple of days later, it was up to 2 million. And then very quickly, it was up to three. And, and then I'm sitting here watching shows on YouTube that I enjoy. You know, I'm watching Fresh and Fit. I'm watching, uh, you know, uh, Access Vegas. I'm watching, you know, uh, 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 Rolo. You know, I'm watching Mike. I'm watching all these people who I've enjoyed in sort of the Red Pill community. And uh, all of a sudden, they're showing clips from this. And I'm like yelling at my TV. I'm going like, oh, my God. And Rollo's like, yeah, I got to I, We got to get this guy on the channel. And I'm like, I'm, I'm right here. I'm right here. You could just call me and I'm right here. And uh, and it kind of blew up. So it, it, it got a lot of attention. Um, I ended up doing uh, Lex Friedman's podcast out in Austin. And um, I've, I've got a bunch of big things coming up. And, and um, yeah, it's really exciting. It's a really nice um, opportunity to, to do something a little different than what I've been doing. I, I guess it resonated with people. I'm guessing, you know, um, but I think it resonated with people because it was plain talk about marriage, you know, plain talk about divorce. And, and I think I'm a little bit of a unique perspective because um, I'm a big believer in the redeeming power of love. I'm a big believer in how much we need like i i know like needing and wanting a woman in my life and and, and how much satisfaction and joy can come from having a good relationship yeah. but how rare of a thing that is to find a good relationship that really feeds the best in you and the best in the other person and then once you have it keeping it is hard too you know it's not like it's permanently gifted to you it's like leased you know <laughs> so you have to do the upkeep on it so um, I think I think that resonated with people, men and women. I'm surprised at how much it resonated with men and women. And um, yeah, as a result of it, I get to do cool stuff like talk to you. So it's great. Well, I'm nowhere near those big wigs. Maybe one day I will be, but uh, you know, I'm I'm absolutely honored that you could be here. So, kind of diving into some of that there. Um, what do you think really makes for a prosperous relationship? Because this is such like a popular topic, and everybody has their two cents. But um, you know, like you said, I think you have a unique perspective when it comes to this. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great question. It's kind of like the question, right? And and I think, I think what makes a prosperous relationship is the same thing that makes a healthy body, you know, it, it, the biggest mistake. And, you know, I've, I've heard you talk about these kinds of things I didn't show before it, 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 like if you're a guy who just never worked out and then you, you go to the gym and you're like, all right, I'm going to do deadlifts and squats and I'm going to do bench. And I'm going to spend four hours in the gym today. It's like, dude, you'd be so much better off just doing a half an hour a day for like three days in a row for yeah. instead of spending two hours, one day, and then being so sore, you can't move. And, you know, you've injured yourself. So I, I really think it's the same thing with marriage like and relationships. It's, it's about just these little changes that you make. People, people overestimate what they could do in a week mm -hmm. and they underestimate what they could do in a month. Right. You know, like, like if you legitimately, you know, eat clean, work out for a month, you will see a difference in your mood, in your sleep, in your sex life, in everything. Same thing with relationships. If you consciously for a month say, you know what? I'm going to make a point every day of complimenting my wife. I'm going to make a point of, you know, um, doing something kind for her, some small gesture of kindness with no expectation of praise or gratitude for it. I'm going to every day tell her something that she did that I appreciated, you know, and thank her for it. whatever those conscious things. 
And, and of course, lots of guys, lots of women, if you ask women to do this for their men, they all say the same thing, which is like, well, why do I have to do like, what do I owe them that they don't do that for me? I'm like, okay, so now you guys, it's like mutually assured destruction. Like, you, yeah. got, you know, you got Hamas in Israel in your in your fucking living room, you know, because the two of you are like, well, why should I help you? Well, why should I help you? Well, you did nothing but hurt me. Well, you did nothing but hurt me. It's like, okay, cool, guys. Why don't you just blow each other up then? Because you've decided no one's going to blink and you're in a death spiral now. So why not be the bigger person, the stronger person and say, okay, I am going to extend that kindness. And you know what? If you extend those gestures and that kindness for 30 days and you get nothing back from your partner, you should know that. Like you should know that. Know that because you need to think long and hard about what is wrong in that relationship then. Because if you're giving that much and that consistently and getting nothing back, nothing improved back, you know, just be honest about what's on your plate. So I would say that is the, the biggest way for people to keep their relationships prospering is, is the little things. I think the little things over a period of time, those little choices is really what makes relationships. Yeah, I remember a, a coworker of mine, the uh, old used car guy I worked with in a dealership like 10 years ago. He said, you know, he asked me, did you ever get bit by an elephant? And well, you know, obviously the answer is no. He said, no, it's the little things that bite you. And um, <laughs> one of the uh, nutrition guys I listen to a lot, I don't know if you know the name Lane Norton. He's a big name in the uh, fitness space and he, he calls out a lot of the BS. And he said, you know, I, when I was growing up, I always had small legs and I, you know, even like the bodybuilders and like the people that would rate him in his competition said like, oh, well, your weak spot is your legs. He said, you know what? I'm going to give it 10 years, 10 years mm -hmm. of training my legs relentlessly. And then if my legs still suck after that, I'll accept I'm just born that way, That's but I'm going to give it a solid chance for 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so I, yeah. I, 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 yeah. Oh, sorry. Good. No, no, no. I think, I think there's a lot to that. I, I really think that. You know, when we marry, at least in theory, we're committing to something for, you know, a lifetime. And, you know, this person's happiness is just absolutely tied to yours, you know, and yours is tied to theirs. And then if you have children, like that's an even bigger, you know, a bigger connection. And, and, and the joy of your spouse is also tied to the joy of your children, you know. So um, I, I think that there's a lot to to. Um, there's a lot we can do. You know, there's a lot we can do. It's really, really easy to make small choices that add up over time, you know, and, and I really think that that is um, the key, but, but that's not the answer people want, you know, like when people, when the book came out, you know, I'd be on like good morning America and they'd be like, so what are three things people can do to improve their relationship? And like, they want me to be like, eat cabbage soup. That is proven that you'll now have a good marriage. Like, but, there's no answer like that. Like, mm -hmm. like the, what the shit I'm going to tell you is like shit, you know, you know, like exercise things is like lift heavy things, you know, and then stretch and rest and eat, you know, like mm -hmm. this is what like don't eat, you know, eat protein, lean protein, you know, on a regular bit. Like this is not sexy. People want like, you. well, no, there's a secret and this is the life hack that you're going to do. And then you're not going to yeah. have to do any of the work. And it's just not the way it is. I, I think anybody who's in a successful and happy marriage knows that love is a verb and that it's in the doing. And that, you know, the, the analogy I always tell people, I'm a dog person. So like I, I have two dogs. I, I love my dogs. Okay. So dogs are like, you know, what's funny to me is like, I'll, I'll listen to guys I know and they'll say like, you know, yeah, you know, I've been with the same woman for like so long, you know, da, 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 da. And, 
And I, I find myself like thinking like, you know, I never look at my dog. I've had my, my dogs for 11 years and 12 years. So 11 and 12 is held down. I've never looked at them and thought like, oh, these old dogs, man, I got to get a new puppy. Like, this is bullshit. These okay. dogs, like they're not really that cute. Like puppies are way cuter than these dogs. Like, you know, I love them. Are you kidding me? Like, they, like I love them more every year, you know, like they're, they're my dogs, you know, like every year I, they, they, I'm more bonded to them. And I think love, you know, can be like that if we come at it from a place of gratitude, if we come at it from a place of, you know, like I, I, um, you know, I know we're both into fitness and, and, and for me, like, you know, I, I was very lucky my whole life. I was a competitive marathoner. I've been a martial artist, Brazilian jiu-jitsu athlete for a long time and I'm 51 and I, I managed to make it to about 49 or 50 with never having a serious injury from martial arts, good. from fight, dude. I didn't realize how good it was. Like, I just was like, oh, I got good biomechanics, you know? Mm -hmm. And I had gotten really into deadlifting. Mm -hmm. And when the gyms all closed and everything, when COVID happened, I said, well, what can I do with the gyms closed? I'll, I'll just lift heavy, you know, at home, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I just started lifting, lifting. I got my deadlift up to 485. That's, that's and I was, I was bigger than I am now. Felt great. Loved it. Really gradually, gradually, gradually. It took me probably a year and a half to get up to that. And on the, I had my posterior chain real tight, you know, in the, in the, in the raise of the bar. And as I'm lowering it, I just let my posterior chain go slightly. I just felt like a little pull. And I went, Oh, yeah. that was weird. Wonder what that was. And within like half an hour, I, I couldn't move. I felt like someone had just stabbed me in the ass with a knife. I had herniated my L5S1, impinged the sciatic nerve. I must've spent six weeks in agony, just agony. Oh, yeah. And it, I ended up getting epidural spinal injections, hospital for special surgery, phenomenal, like feel great. Now I'm back to, to, to again, I'm not going to do heavy deadlifts anymore, um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm still doing, I'm, I'm back to the game mm -hmm. and I'm back to Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which is really important to me. But I remember like there was a time where if I was doing deadlifts and I just went up to 350, I would like be like, oh, come on, what are you doing? Like you didn't get heavy today at all, you know? Yeah. And after that injury was over, I was like, dude, I'm so grateful. Like just to put one plate on each side. I was so like, oh, this is so <laughs> great. Like I can, I can, I can do this exercise again. Yeah. Like, holy shit, you know? And I just think to myself, like, you know, how many of us like really ever, you know, it's like when the power goes out in your house mm -hmm. and you're you're just so like, holy shit, the power's out. Like, you know, and like, and then, and then when it comes on, like, you're so like, oh yeah, it's on. Like the lights are on and look, the fridge is on and the, oh, the little clock on the thing is on, you know, and that lasts for what, like an hour. Yeah. And then you it's just go back to being like, about everything in life. So I guess I just feel like maybe we could do that with our marriages, you know, like maybe we just, you know, look at, look at that woman. And, and instead of like, you know, being like, oh, well, yeah, I saw an Instagram model today that looks hotter than her or something like, like, look at this person that like, is just, you know, they like you so much. There's 8 billion people in the world. They picked you. That's crazy. You know, <laughs> like, and like at some point you like them so much, you know, and it, a lot of us, it's like the stuff that's in there, we just take for granted, just like we take the electricity working for granted or our back working when we want to lift weights, you know, like there's. <laughs> There's so, I just think that we could really do better in terms of our gratitude for the things we have.
Yeah, absolutely. Um, one friend that we have in common, Ryan Stone, always uh, brings up, and I think even Rolo brings it up a little bit, but like luxury beliefs, where like essentially yeah. the electricity and now allows us to have all these luxury beliefs. You know, if we yeah. were in another country where they were dirt poor, we wouldn't be able to talk, have this conversation right now because they're too busy worrying about, yeah, getting slaughtered or killed or something like that. So like, but like you said, if that was like our normal life right now, we're so comfortable that nothing bothers us. Oh, it's it, preposterous. It, 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 yeah. yeah, it's preposterous. I, I remember the first time I went to train in Brazil. I went with a group of guys. We wanted to train at Gracie Umatai, so we went to Rio. And we stayed at like, a, it was before the days of Airbnb. It was like 12 years ago. And we stayed at like a little apartment that we managed to rent. And um, there was like a local grocery store. And we went into this grocery store. And this is Rio. So this is the city of Brazil. Like this is the fancy part of Brazil. And we go into this grocery store. And it was like, there wasn't, which aisle is the dish detergent aisle? <laughs> it was, do you have dish detergent? Yes. Here's, there's one type of dish detergent and there's one type of soap and there's one type. And it was like, oh yeah. Like it, and what you figure out is that's great. Like it's fine. Like it's absolutely fine. Like you either, like I've always told, you know, cause I'm a divorce lawyer. So I, I, when I started my career, I represented, you know, like I used to call it the Rockland special, like a cop and a teacher. You know, they got they got two, they got a couple of kids. They got a 401k and a house. That's it. They got a little this much equity in their house. The bank owns most of it. They got some credit card debt. And now I represent people worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And it, you learn very quickly two things. One, that money gives people real solutions to imaginary problems and imaginary solutions to real problems. And two, that there's only two amounts of money, enough and not enough. And I would say that's true of most things. Like there's enough or not enough. And if you're the kind of person that just, it's not enough, then it's never going to be enough. Like if you need 50 kinds of dish soap to feel like you've got the right choices of dish soap, there's something yeah. fucking wrong with you. You know, <laughs> like our grandfathers never got up and went, you know, I don't have an eight pack. Why don't I have, I really need more definition in my, like none of our grandfathers thought that. Yeah. Not for a split second did that cross their minds, you know? <laughs> and, and yet, you know, things like, like people do not think a lot about functional strength. They think about aesthetics. Aesthetics is really the key, you know? And so I think that says a lot about who we've become as a culture. We, we become a culture with white teeth and rotting gums. And I think that that is not a good thing for us to do. Wow. Yeah. I've, I've never heard it put that way, but that's absolutely true. Um, yeah. I mean, we have social media where we're able to compare ourselves to people all the time and we expect ourselves to live up to, you know, our favorite YouTube star being able to have, like you said, like an eight pack, be able to deadlift this amount of weight. But the truth is that like, Hey, you could do a little bit better than you did yesterday and you'll still generally be fine. And it doesn't require that much suffering, but I think for guys, especially like a little bit of suffering, maybe even a lot of suffering for men in particular is going to make your life a lot better. And you may not realize it at the Absolutely. time, but it will, it, you'll come out better in the long run. Um, the one thing that I always think of, um, I worked at a dealership um, when I first started working on cars 11 years ago now, which makes me feel old. I'm, I'm almost 30, <laughs> but you know, it, it creeps up on you. So um, I was making a little, <laughs> you're telling me, you're telling, I turned 51 <laughs> last week. Yes. <laughs> but, um, 
I, I was working in a dealership changing oil and working on cars for literal minimum wage here in Pennsylvania, $7.25 an hour. And I did that for a year and a half and I hated it at the time. But then I look back at that now, I'm like, you know what? I'm grateful for every second and every berating I got because I absolutely deserved it because it made me into the prosperous person that I am today. And I think 100%. if a lot more people had that kind of suffering, then they would do a lot better. I, I think you know, human beings are are what what they refer to as anti-fragile, which is I think mm-hmm. that we become stronger through adversity. And I think we require adversity. And, you know, it's, it's one of the reasons why I I like to exercise first thing in the morning, like Joe Rogan and a lot of other people, Goggins, a lot of people do it that way because get that reminder of suffering, get that pain, get that out of the way, because it's also a reminder of your own strength and resilience. And that starts your day on a tone of overcoming adversity, feeling the power of your own will. You know, and I think that when you feel the power of your own will and your own tenacity, it puts a lot of things in perspective. But, you know, it's funny because with you working in in, in cars, you know, I, I, I see so many parallels in terms of the way people approach cars now and the way people approach marriage now. Sure. Because there was a time when I when I was younger and I'm, I'm quite a bit older than you, but when I was a younger man, you know, you had a car and that was your car. And you took care of your car. You changed the oil, you know, or there was, if you weren't someone who would do it yourself, you know, check the fluids yourself, change the wiper blade, all that stuff yourself. You had a local guy who was your mechanic. You know, our guy was Gessel was his name was Gessel's service station. And his name was Jim Gessel. And we'd bring our Volkswagen bug there. We'd bring my dad's Cadillac there. It was a 79 Fleetwood and he drove it. And then my mom drove it. And then my sister drove it. And then eventually I drove it. And I drove it till yeah. the engine block cracked. And you took care of things, you know, you took care of cars, you, you would do preventative maintenance on it, you would pay attention. Now, people are like, I'm not keeping this fucking thing. I'm getting it. I'm leasing it. I don't even own it. I'm, I'm, I'm basically renting the car. I'm signing on for a service contract. But you know what, if, if, I, if I don't take care of this thing, the real problems with it aren't going to show up until I'm away from it anyway. So fuck it, who cares, you know, because it's disposable. Mm-hmm. And I think we've We've taken that approach now to so many things in our life, to our relationships, to our computers, our cell phones. Like, you know, you're going to get a new one because, you know, Apple's going to come out with another one. Samsung's going to come out with another one. So you don't get too attached to anything anymore. And, And I think that has changed this disposable way of looking at the world has changed how we look at so many things and, and how we look at ourselves and how we value, you know, the things in our life. So I, I think that, that, there is, I think, a change coming where people are realizing a life where you value almost nothing and everything is disposable is a, is a life of nihilism. It's a life of emptiness. And it's, it's not something that you're going to ultimately have any real benefit towards. You know, all these people that if you define yourself by having eight pack abs, like that's a game you're not going to win, man. Like you're going to age it's not gonna stay like you see a 60 year old guy with an eight pack it's impressive but it's a 60 year old guy's eight pack like it's not you know i i have 20 something year old sons i can tell you they they fucking eat a whole pizza and don't ever do a sit-up and they've got a goddamn six pack i i walk past the pizza place and smell the pizza the next day my suits don't fit so this is the nature of aging so if you're going to define yourself by something it shouldn't be your eight pack abs. I'm not saying don't strive to make your body healthy and strong. I'm not saying there isn't something great about being in aesthetic, excellent shape. It's 
feels great too. I've, I've had an eight pack in the past and it's a cool thing to look in the mirror and be like, oh, look at this. I'm fucking carved out of stone. Yeah. But the truth is like, it's, you know, it's a transient temporary. This body is a, you know, transient temporary thing, you know, or is, is this the, the, you know, is this the bulb that carries the light, you know, or, or are we the bulb? Like, I don't think we're the bulb. I think that that this is this body is the bulb that carries the light, but the light is something much bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I kind of like the uh, the comparison to like automotive stuff because it's like, um, like you said, people generally now just look at their cars as like, hey, I'm leasing this, so I, I see it all the time. Hey, do this lease inspection because I'm going to trade it in. It needs tires. Well, I don't care. Um, are they good enough <laughs> to pass? Right? Yeah, are they good enough to pass right now? Okay, just take it and get get the damn thing out of here. I'm not going to put yeah. a filter in it. I'm not going to do a flush. I'm not changing anything. Mm-hmm. Just get me through my three years. But, um, you know, we also have so many superficial connections where, you know, people go on social media and you'll build relationships, you know, with your following or whatever. But, you know, what does that do for you? You're going to pick up your phone and then, you know, scroll through Twitter first thing in the morning. And I'm just as guilty as anybody. And then, you know, see that connection there. But then, you know, the people in your life, you don't make eye contact with them. You don't go out for drinks with them. We become so focused on this. And, you know, it's great to have this technology and it's, you know, it's made my life exponentially better. But at the same time, you know, we're not quite as connected as we used to be in a physical sure. way so that i mean i'm also a musician so it's always cool to go out and get to spend time with people with the right. you know the loudspeakers and stuff like that so right, yeah right, right you know i feel like what what has happened culturally is that we look these are all you know it's it it's very funny if you if you, you know if you i grew up you know i went to catholic school my whole life i grew up very religious and so I'm, 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 I know the Bible very well because I spent a lot of time reading the Bible. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things that people don't always realize is that the devil makes quite a few appearances, obviously, in, in, in the New Testament and the Old Testament. But what's interesting about the devil is the devil never lies. Anywhere in the Bible, the devil never lies. The devil just tells part of the truth. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why, you know, Jesus calls the devil the great deceiver, you know, <laughs> because really what, what he does just tells you part of the truth, the part you want to hear, you know, like, yeah. the, the, and then, you know, the devil sends a limo, God makes you take the stairs. And, and the truth is like, this is, this is the reality is they're taking appetites that are normal, healthy things. When you say, well, I'm as guilty of it as anybody, we're all guilty of it. And that's actually nothing to be ashamed of because what is it when you look and check Twitter? It's a natural human appetite, and that is the appetite for connection, the appetite to feel connected to other human beings, to feel that they care about what's going on with you and that you know what's going on with them, to understand your physical and spiritual and intellectual environment. These are normal, healthy drives, right? I mean, gluttony, you know, all the seven deadly sins are all natural drives just taken too far. Wrath is anger, which is a normal, healthy thing, taken too far. Gluttony, hunger, taken too far. You know, envy, you know, the desire to emulate, taken too far. Like these are all normal, healthy drives. And what's happening is we are being manipulated. We are being intentionally manipulated for the profit of, you know, any number of corporations. And so a government can maintain a level of control and surveillance over us, but they're doing it by taking our natural drives and just per- perverting our natural drives, you know? And, and that, that is where I think we 
as a culture and as men, I think have to stand up and say, yeah, I'm not going to let you manipulate me. I'm not going to let you bend my will to meet your agenda. My will is mine. My strength is mine. And I have the ability to, you know, to, to uh, confront my drives and confront those things and create limits on myself, you know, and I, I think that that is a really, really key message for men right now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and this is why I think the red pill praxeology is defined correctly, um, is so attractive to men because sure. this is saying like, there is no preset destiny for you. You get to decide how you want to live your life. And right. this is going to be the tool set and the information that you're going to be equipped with to kind of decide what you want to do. And this is why I get annoyed with the trads who kind of go forth and say, well, you should marry a woman young and then, you know, have kids and all this stuff. And not that I think that that's a bad goal, but like sure. this idea of just, there's this going to be this one woman out there waiting for you who's going to fill all your boxes um you know eventually you're going to get desperate enough if you're waiting for that person and you're going to find a woman and you're going to have this complacency in your head of a woman that you think is supposed to check all these boxes you're going to make that woman that you just so happen to like because you're so desperate check all these boxes and the next thing you know they're calling you and saying hey this didn't work out oh my old man actually commented on here <laughs> we have a huge lack of men and we caused the problem we told men they should not be men and he's men. absolutely right I but agree. yeah um basically people are going to build up this complacency in their head with a soulmate or their ideal trad wife and it, when it doesn't come they feel like they failed and they also feel like their partner failed but the reality was maybe that person's just not right for you and you're not well enough equipped to live that life yet uh, you know, 100%, I think at its best, and this will be a controversial take, but at its best, the red pill movement and feminism at its best is actually the same movement, which is choice, choice, mm -hmm. that our biology is not our destiny, that it is not our pure destiny, right? Biology is relevant to our destiny. I believe that for sure, right? We are, we are yeah. bundles of hormones. We are bundles of physical flesh. But again, it is not our destiny. So, so feminism at its best was saying to a woman, if you are amazing at math and science and you find joy in being a doctor, you have every right and reason to be a doctor and you should go out and pursue that beauty. And if you want to be a mother, and have children and nurture those children and educate them and you take satisfaction in caring for your family, do it. This is your right to do. Embrace it. Like be who you want to be. And the red pill movement, I think, is the exact same thing for men. It's saying to men, hey, if you are someone who just says, you know what? I don't think the contract of marriage is a contract that I'm interested in what, what they're selling isn't worth what yeah. I got to pay. So uh -huh. I'm not doing it. Or if you're someone like, for example, and this is why I think, you know, Rolo is such a great example because this is a guy who, you know, has lots of options, attractive, smart, talented, and erudite person, right? Surrounded by beautiful women constantly by virtue of what he does. And he he's made a choice to be married, to be he's not stuck in his marriage. He's not a guy who's like, oh, you know, I'm a cheaper keeper. Like this is a guy who seriously digs his wife, you know, and, and like has with her the relationship that he feels sustains and feeds him and vice versa for her. So to me, like it's about choices, you know, it's about choice. It's about, you know, men being able to say, look, I'm not. I'm looking at this marriage technology in an honest way. I, I don't know that the promises I have to make and the promises she has to make, if only one of them is enforceable by the court system, one side, 
This is not a good contract for me. But there are men who look at, you know, again, this is why I, I made the analogy and I continue to make the analogy that, look, I, I, most marriages don't work out. You know, they, they end, most marriages end in divorce. Right. But I still think people should try it. I still think it's worth a try. I think having a prenup is a good idea for sure. But, you know, if, if, if there is something in you that calls you to that kind of relationship, it is no one can dispute that a monogamous, loving, focused pair bond, one-on-one -on -one relationship between a man and a woman is the cornerstone of civilization. It is the thing that, that, that took us from the caves to the permanent party that is modern society, you know? Mm -hmm. So you, you cannot argue with the, the power of it. And even the people that are spending so much of their time and energy trying to tear down the traditional family and traditional gender mm -hmm. roles, they exist by virtue of those roles and by the society that was built by adherence to those roles or at least honoring those roles. And again, we don't have to treat dandruff with decapitation. Mm -hmm. We can say, hey, let women have a little more room to breathe and let men have a little more room to figure out what works for them. And let's be honest with each other about what feels good and what works and what feeds and sustains us instead of just, you know, having these rigid societal, you know, I I've said it before and, and, and it's not a popular view sometimes, but I think tradition is just peer pressure exerted on you by dead people. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think every generation owes it to the world to try things, looking at things differently. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of the time you figure out that, Oh yeah, the reason we do it this way is because it makes sense. Like we do it this way because it's a good idea to do it this way. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, I, I'm sure you experienced it. I think everybody experiences it where we think we're smarter than our parents. We think we're smarter totally. than our older coworkers. So we want to stick it to them to, oh, no, I'm going to do it different and I'll be just fine. And then, you know, years and years later, eventually you're like, oh, no, they they had a point. There was, there but was you know what? You, you learn and you'll see in your own journey as a parent that um, you, you learn that they have to learn the same way you did. You know, mm -hmm. my sons are men now. They're they're 24 and 26. And, and I'm very proud of the men that they've become because they are the right kind of men. They're strong. They're willful. Um, they know who they are and who they're not. But they also, you know, they they they're they're the type who would sacrifice, you know, they're the type who would protect. They're the type who like they look at things as their responsibility, you know, like they see somebody broke down by the side of the road, they don't go, oh, it sucks. They go, hey, if that was my mom. I hope somebody'd stop. And if I don't stop, who's going to stop? That's my responsibility. Like they they look at it that way and I have to tell you to me that's the that's the most important thing. That's the most important thing for 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 your children to be. But they had to learn that on their own, you know? Like they had to make some of the same stupid ass mistakes I did, you know? We all that's one of the hardest things is to watch your children just run over all the same goddamn landmines that you did, you know, because they think they know everything the same way you thought you knew everything. But, you know, life has a way of humbling all of us and mm -hmm. teaching us all that stuff. And, you know, I had enough confidence in how much I learned from my mistakes to let my sons make their own mistakes. And, uh, and I'm glad that I did. I think that, that it made them, you know, stronger, better people. So.
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I kind of want to go back to something we were talking about earlier and kind of like expectations and relationships and how you mentioned doing a nice, you know, saying nice things to your partner because sure, just kind of like with a neutral expectation. I think a lot of people enter in relationships and they have this idea of equity in your head. And I know that you understand this very, very well, but for those listening, like where something that you think is very, very nice for somebody, that person may not understand or perceive that is, you know, the same weight that you thought it would have for them. So kind of in my mind, having like no expectations or not having like this punch card of you know oh well, i did x many nice things so therefore you know my wife should give me a blow job or you know if you're a woman then you know he he has to buy me flowers or something like that just sit there and just do the right thing because you know you love this person you want things to work out in your favor yeah yeah i think that's well said i mean i think expectations the thief of joy to some degree but i also think that um you know if, if love is just an economy, then, then it's a different thing, right? I, I don't view love just as an economy. I don't look at it as like, this is a transactional relationship where I do this for you and then you do this for me. Like, you know, my employees, like I pay them and then they do the stuff I want them to do. Like that's a different kind of relationship theoretically than, than love. You know, I, I have a lot of love for the people who work for me. I have a lot of affection for them. Um, but the nature of our relationship is transactional. Now, look, I'm not saying there isn't a transactional element to marriage. And, and certainly there's an economy to marriage, right? Like there's, you know, what's expected of you and what is what you give to the relationship and what you get from the relationship. And that has value. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, having someone who cooks for you or who provides for you financially or who fixes things around the house or who is good at, you know, knowing what this kid needs or that kid needs. Like these are remembering your mom's birthday because you can't remember it. Like I'm, I'm using my own examples here, but you know, these are the things that, that are, I'm very glad my ex-wife still texts me and says, you remember it's your brother's, but I'm like, Oh shit. Thank you. You know, like we've been divorced for 17 years and yeah. she still, thank God reminds me of shit like my father's birthday. So I always appreciate that. Um, but I, I, I really do think that, you know, it's supposed to be something more than that. And, and, and what it's supposed to be a, a marriage relationship is, is really supposed to be with that. This person's joy gives you joy. Like, look, the example of a blowjob, you know, I, I, I think most men <laughs> understand that example really well because yeah. <laughs> the blowjobs are always in the preview, mm -hmm. but like, are they in the movie? You know, like, cause they're in the preview, like the preview, it's like, yeah. you know, this is, but in the movie, like I, I kind of signed up for the movie cause the preview was so good. So, yeah. and I, I kind of get that as life gets in the way and the chaos of the day and kids and work and all that stuff gets in the way you kind of start to be more efficient, right? In your life. And you kind of go like, well, all right, listen, we got like a fucking half an hour together while we're both awake. Let's just fucking, let's both, let's have sex and we both have fun, you know, instead yeah. of, but the truth is there ain't a man alive who doesn't, after getting a blowjob, just like feel better about the woman who just gave it to you. <laughs> I mean, like you can't yeah. help, but just, so, and feel better about who the hell he is. Like you mm -hmm. walk a little taller, you feel a little more like, look at who I, you know who I am? I'm the guy who just got a blowjob. Like, yeah. That is a good guy to be, you know? Yeah. And so I think that, that there is something to that. Like there's something to be learned from that because the truth is like, Nobody owes you a blowjob. And if you're a woman, you don't owe anybody a blowjob. But you know what? Like, I don't owe you flowers either. But boy, it's nice, isn't it? And it's not even just the flowers. 
It's because here's the thing. I also don't want a begrudging because you owe me one blowjob. I don't want it because I asked for one. I want you to want to give me that blow. That's what I want. (laughs) I want to, I want that to be just like the flowers. If your wife says to you, you know, you never get me flowers. Why don't you get me flowers Friday? Even if you get her flowers Friday, it's not the same as if you just came home on a random Tuesday with flowers. She says, what's this about? And you go, I don't know. I just saw five. I was just thinking of you today and I want to get you some flowers. Mm-hmm. She's going to be like, first of all, most women are going to be like, are you cheating on me? What the fuck happened? What did you do? You know, <laughs> I, I remember the first time I came out of a florist with a bunch of flowers mm-hmm. and this, I'm walking down the street in Manhattan and this guy is walking down the street with, I guess, his girlfriend or his wife. And he's walking down the street and he sees the flowers and the girl smiles and he looks at me and he goes, somebody fucked up. And I thought, I thought, wow, that's where your head is, buddy. Huh? Like that's why if I've got flowers, it must be that somebody fucked up. That tells me something about where you're at, you know? So, I mean, listen, I think, I think that, that those are two examples, you know, flowers and blowjobs. Like those are two examples that, you know, I'm not saying that's the solution, but shit ain't gonna hurt. You know what I mean? Like I never, I never once heard a guy go, "Gosh, supposed to be these blowjobs, man." Just like I wish sometimes we just like I don't know, just talk or something. I've never heard a man say that. I've never heard a woman say, "Oh, he's such an asshole. He buys me flowers all the time. He's always telling me how pretty I am. It's the worst. Like I'm just sick of it. You know, I just wish we could do something else. Like so, maybe it's that simple. Like maybe it is. Like maybe it's just as simple. As those quote unquote little things, I won't say those are little things. I refuse to say a blowjob is something little, but it's, I think people should. Depends on think, the size, I guess. It could be, right? Yeah. How much work <laughs> is involved? I don't know. I never thought the logistics of it, but I, 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 I have to tell you, you know, that there's, it's like the old joke. I remember the worst blowjob I ever got. It was amazing, you know? <laughs> it's like pizza. When it's good, it's great. And when it's bad, it's still good, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, going out for ice cream, you know, whether it's Dairy Queen or, you know, the gas station. Ice cream. It's like, fuck, man, it's still sugar. It's fucking ice cream. Shut <laughs> up. Like, yeah, but that's how I feel. I really do think that, that, that these are the things that actually mean something. And no one wants to say it out loud because, A, it doesn't sell enough books. And, B, you know, everybody wants you to take their seminar. And it's not much of a seminar if all you're saying is, hey, why don't you fucking be nice to her? Tell her some compliments. Tell her she's pretty listen, tell her she's special, you know, buy her some flowers, leave her a note, pay some attention to her. The same attention that the dude sliding into her DMs are going to pay to her. The guy at work is going to pay to her and that you were paying to her when you guys first started dating. Hey, hey, guess what? Give him a blowjob once. Remember like you did when you guys were first dating and you were trying to like audition for the party? Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Well, you got the part. You got the part. 
And and now don't rest on your laurels because you got the part. Don't be the chicken Game of Thrones who was naked for the first whatever many seasons. Then is like, I don't take my top off. Well, you did for three fucking seasons. And you're not better than that now. <laughs> if I see that Emily Ratajkowski chick one more time talking about how like women shouldn't be exploited for their looks, we wouldn't know who the fuck you were if you were not topless dancing in a video. You're ta- and now you're going to sit there and be like, women shouldn't be judged by their looks. Women weren't judged by their looks. We would not be listening to your vapid ass talk right now. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Nobody would know who she was if it wasn't for blurred lines and our. Uh, not Robin at Rick. all. And and everybody knows who she is mm-hmm. from that one thing. And yeah. now she has the audacity to sit there and talk about how women shouldn't be judged by their bodies. Like, look. I, I tend to agree women shouldn't be judged solely by their bodies, but she has some fucking audacity. That's like me saying, you know, some people are very verbose. They really should listen more often. Like, fuck you, buddy. Like, if that was true, like, it's not you. It's not how you're living. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, Well, I think all that's like a symptom of our larger culture, too, where we have like this too long, didn't read kind of stuff where like – um. When it comes to diet stuff, everybody's on the seed oil, the anti-seed oil train. And it's like, oh, well, it it, it sounds super sexy to say, well, don't eat seed oils and all your problems will go away. Um, You know, a year or two before that, it was, oh, just go carnivore. And it's kind of like you said, we're treating dandruff with with decapitation, where it's just complete and total overkill. Whereas, like you said, hey, maybe eat some lean protein, get some fruits and vegetables, try to get a little bit more fiber. If you need protein powder, feel free to enjoy some of that. But like if you're having ice cream and, you know, candy bars every single day and you're eating out every day for lunch your diet kind of sucks but you could have that right, for how about day. alcohol too i yeah. mean all the things that people are doing that you know they talk about and and, and again i mean i also just love it too because i just love all the people i love all the celebrities that are like oh yeah no it's just chicken breasts and broccoli like right and trembolone for god's sakes and decadurabalan and winston is my ass that is chicken <laughs> breasts and broccoli like, come on, man. Like, at least be honest about it because it's just so unfair to people to think that that's, you know, that's how it is, that they're not working hard enough and things like that. It's, 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 not, it's not honest. It's not fair to people. But, you know, I, I think the decline of Western civilization began when, when, when we started asking supermodels their opinion. I think when they started talking <laughs> is when the whole thing went wrong. And I'm not, I'm not even trying to be funny when I say that. I think that was, I remember it was the like eighties and MTV, but they had like rock the vote or whatever it was. It was mm-hmm. the early days of MTV. And I remember they asked like Cindy Crawford, like, who are you voting for? And I remember even at the age of like 13 being like, who the fuck cares? who she's voting for. She's beautiful for a living. Mm-hmm. That's her job. Like right. her job is to be hot. And you're going to ask her about politics? Mm-hmm. Like if she knows anything about politics, it's a fucking coincidence. Or it's like maybe she, you know, like picked it up somewhere. Like she's not college educated. Not that college is really, I'm not a credentialist. But like this is not a person who's ever expressed any interest in political discourse. So why are we asking her that? Like, if you want to ask what's a good diet secret, what's a skincare routine, how is your hair so lovely? These are great questions to ask of a supermodel. But don't ask a fucking supermodel about their thoughts about what's going on in the Middle East. Who cares? And this is where it started. And it was not a long ride from that to the current climate. 
of like, here's what, what does Mark Ruffalo think of what's going on with Hamas? Who the fuck cares what he thinks about what's going on in the Middle East? Like, when did that become something important? When did uh, an inside linebacker for a like a modest NFL team that I'm going to go to them for advice on anything other than football, you know, on, on what we should do with anything. Like, and again, I'm not suggesting that people can't learn and read and share their perspectives. I think people of every ilk should share their perspectives and I want to hear everyone's point of view, but to elevate these people to a level where it's like, no, no, we got to hear what they have to say about this. To treat topic. them as an authority. Why? Yeah. Why? They are in no way an authority, you know, and yeah. they are just like any of us because what the commensurate thing that comes with that is while we're elevating them, we're, we're lowering ourselves, you know, we're lowering our own instinct, our own gut, our own research, our own thought to suggest that Joe Biden is cognitively in a better position than you know any number of other people, yeah. even on the left, even progressive yeah. left-leaning people. You're telling me that's the best they can do cognitively. That's the best we've got. Like that's terrifying if that's true. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 a very, very I don't even know what to, what to say about it because it's it's embarrassing that as a leader of our country and kind of especially like the leader for a, a the political left who used to be the movement of anti-war pro-civil liberties but then we see that you know he's anything but that and it's just 100%. been all that we but i i have really come to the belief that asking someone in america if we want a democrat or a republican is like asking someone on death row if they want ac or dc voltage i don't think it fucking makes a difference like i yeah. think it is one corporate puppet versus another corporate yep. puppet and on one side they're, they've got fictional villains that they want to steer you to. And that's the, mm-hmm. the, the Nazis and white men who are out trying to oppress yeah. women and turn them into the handmaid's tale and murder people for being gay. And on the right, you know, we're creating all these boogeymen of like people that are like trying to indoctrinate your children into, you know, mm-hmm. like guys, Boomers, like, yeah. it's fucking people around. You know what they're trying to do? They're trying to live their lives, they're trying to work, they're trying to raise families, they're trying to have fucking health care. And be able to take care of their families. Like people are just, it is hard, man. We have made it harder than it needs to be. And we've made it harder than it needs to be so that there is a percentage of people that can drive fucking Lamborghinis. And I got to tell you something. I know because I represent them. And I see (laughs) how much money their money makes. Mm -hmm. Their money makes more money than you and I will ever see in our lifetime. Like I have clients who... Just interest alone on their accounts is 10, 20 million a year. Like that's insane. That's insane. And they've got us, the populace of the United States of America, running around chasing our tails, talking about who should use what bathroom. And I'm not saying these aren't important topics for both sides, whatever. But Jesus, are you telling me that's, that's the enemy we should all be fighting. No, they, they need us to fight these other things because God forbid we woke up and went, hey, wait a minute. You know, why do the people up there have all of it? Like right. way more than their share. And I, I really believe that, that, that the day that we 
you know, it's why they can't have us get back to like basics. I think it'd be dangerous for it to get back to basics. Like the one thing you'll never hear in advertising, like advertising is the opposite of therapy. Advertising is always telling you there is something fucking wrong. Always. Yes. Always. Yes. Here's one message I promise you will never hear in an advertisement. You're fine. You're yeah. fine. You don't need anything. You don't mm -hmm. need anything. You're fine. Because that doesn't sell. You'll never hear that message. It's always, oof, there's a problem. But, but, but we got a fix. We got a solution. We got a solution for you. Don't worry. Don't worry. You know, and that's, they keep us in that state. They keep us in that state of perpetual unwellness and dissatisfaction. You know, when I was, when I was doing deadlifts and I got up to 485, did I go, holy shit. This is it. Nope. It was like, yeah, but why not 490? But why not 500? I'm yeah. so close to 500. We are in this state of perpetual dissatisfaction instead yeah. of just stopping and going, wait a minute, we are doing really fucking well. Like, we are doing really, really well. And we could be doing even better if we just realize the power that we have as, 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 as human beings, as individuals, and then as, as a collective. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And kind of to your point there, um, when you represent people who make all that kind of money, um, I think people have this impression that their lives are drastic, like the way that they act and their lives are like drastically different than ours. But I think people forget that they still eat shit and they want to, if they're getting divorced, then obviously yeah. they want to fuck <laughs> the same as the rest of us. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, no, they're exactly the same. I mean, they, if anything, I'd actually say there's a sadness about them because there, there's a, um, I think there's a unique, desperation when you could do anything and nothing feels good. Yeah. You know, like, like at least when you're, cause I I've had like, I've been, I, you know, I, I grew up without money and, and, you know, all through college and all through law school, I, I worked multiple jobs and, and had scholarships. And so I, I know what it was like to like go to the diner and be the only person who could, like I would call it the lumberjack special. I had like a toothpick and a water where I would eat everybody's pickles and coleslaw. So they all get burgers. And then I would just eat all their pickles and coleslaw on the side, you know? And so I would eat like a shit ton of pickles and coleslaw. And I, I remember thinking like, oh, but like someday, like someday when I have money, like it's all going to be great. It's all going to be great. Like I'm not going to ever feel scared or sad or alone. I'm just going to feel good all the time. I'm not going to ever feel embarrassed. I'm not ever going to feel out of place. I'm always going to feel powerful. And that's just such a fiction, you know, but at least you have something to chase when you're poor, you know, <laughs> like at least you're like, yeah, but someday, someday, you know, and I think that's why you see like these massive bodybuilder guys who are jacked and who like legit have body dysmorphia and think Absolutely, they're small. Yeah. Like I have buddies who are fucking huge and they are, and they, they you know, half of them are, are, are juiced up to the tits. And they're, they're in so much gear, they can't see straight and they, their dick hasn't worked in five years. And they are still convinced that they're small. Or they're like, yeah, but do you see the striations here or not? As, and I'm like, dude, are you serious? No one's noticing that. You look like a house. Like, are you kidding mm -hmm. me? And the truth is, is, is when you get to the point, like you get to, it's a horizon that forever recedes. It just keeps receding. Yeah. And that's, I guess, to tie it back to marriage again, like, it's easy to do that with marriage. It's easy to do that with relationships. It's easy to look at the stunning women that are constantly on my, I, I, when I go on Instagram, I am shocked 
at just how unbelievably good looking people. Now, again, yeah. I don't know that those women in real life even look like that. They probably don't. I mean, probably like most not. of them have filters up the wazoo. Like when you actually see, so, you know, but, but God, you know, your brain does it. Your brain just keeps going. Wow. Look at that. Wow. Look at that. Wow. Yeah. Look at that. And same thing with porn. The same thing with, you know, this is what we, we just, we gorge on it. I understand. It's like sugary syrup. You know, you gorge on it. Yeah. Your body wants it. You know, the biological drives, that make you crave sugar, you know, we're there for when we used to roam and not know when the food was coming, you know, and the same thing about the part of us that wants to fuck everybody, you know, like I get it, <laughs> but you know, we're better than that. I think, I think we have a better plan than that. And there's a better happiness out there for us than that, because I have seen the discontent of the idle rich, you know, and I have to tell you, they are miserable. Like they are miserable. The ultra wealthy, they can all day long show you all their cars and their watches and their, they're fucking miserable. I know because I listen to the recordings of them screaming at each other that they want to put into evidence. And I read the text messages uh, that they have with their boyfriends or girlfriends secretly that they're mm -hmm. cheating on their spouse with. And I look at their children's therapy bills. You know, like, trust me, like these, this is not people to envy, like do not envy these people. They, they, they trust me when I say they're, they are not happy. They are putting on a performance again, white teeth and rotting gums. They are, you know, they are putting on a show for you and don't buy it. Yeah. I mean, that kind of reminded me of another point where I think some people with like large social media followings, they may not have the same opportunity like you or I to kind of see the reality where you have people that will gladly tell you like, Hey, you're fucking up right now. And yeah. we need, we expect more of you when you have like a, Amen. you know, millions of people that just worship you. Do you think yeah. any one of them is going to come up to you and say, Hey, we didn't like this. This, this kind of sucks. No, well, because they want in your orbit. A hundred percent. And you know, you as a musician will appreciate this. I have a theory and that theory is that there's a reason why every musician's third album sucks. Like famous <laughs> musician. Uh -huh. Hear me out. Sure. Cause the first album is raw talent. Yes. Like they're just fucking good. Like Ray LaMontagne trouble. Great fucking album. Like great album. Second album, even better till the sun for Ray LaMontagne till the sun turns black. Fuck it. What is it? It's raw talent now with some production values behind it. Like uh, now you're yeah. in the studio. They put some money behind it. You got a decent guitar. You got a decent, like decent audio engineers. Like, holy shit, man. So you got raw talent, good production values attached yeah. to it. Third album, everyone's been jerking you off. And now no one said to you, yeah, no, don't put a fucking banjo. What are you doing? Like a banjo? No, <laughs> don't put a banjo. Like what are you, what are you, kazoo? No, you don't need to play a kazoo. Everything you do, everyone's going, oh, that's great, man. No, you're doing great. It's phenomenal. Oh, you're a genius. It's amazing. You're doing so good. That sounds so good. No one is saying to you, yeah, man, no, like stick with what you do. You know, like, no, 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 no. People didn't, like people did not go see Bruce Springsteen to hear the ghost of Tom Joad. Like they went to hear Born to Run. They went to hear Thunder Road. Like they did not. And someone, I'm sure at some point said to him, like, hey, man, you want to do some stuff for you. That's cool. You want to do a couple of tracks. No worries. But yeah. like play the fucking hits, man. Like play the hits. <laughs> like like stick it, stay in your lane. Like we, nobody wants to hear you do opera. You know, like they want to hear the hits. And so I, I really think that. Yeah, like we are not surrounded by employees and fans. 
Right. You know, and when you're surrounded by employees and fans, you know, I've represented some 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 athletes, some some fairly, you know, accomplished athletes. I've represented high, you know, functioning CEOs. So they have hundreds of people below them on a corporate chain. Mm-hmm. I've represented, you know, surgeons. So they have the, you know, other doctors, nurses, interns, med students, all kissing their patients, all kissing their ass. And they're so used to just having everyone tell them what they want to hear that when I, as a lawyer, you know, say to them like, yeah, no, you're not going to get to do, no, the judge isn't going to allow that. Yeah, no, you don't have the right to do it. They are not used to being told no at all. You know, and they they are not, they do not like it one bit. And I have to tell you, like, it's really shows the cracks. Like it really shows the cracks in people. They're, they are, they are some of the weakest people you will ever see in your life because They've not been challenged in a real way in a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting because like you said, these people haven't been told no. So, you know, for us, and I'm sure obviously you as a lawyer kind of have to learn sometimes like, oh, well, this case didn't go my way in my situation. Yeah. I <laughs> I may put a part on a car and figure out, well, <laughs> at least I know what it's not now at this point. Right. But yeah, sometimes you get told no and then you figure out, okay, well, <laughs> what do we do next? We have to move on. Right. So um, kind of going from there though, um, what do you think makes divorces or I should say divorce, but marriages kind of fall apart. Yeah, I think it's small disconnections that happen over a period of time. And I think it's taking um, taking the other person's presence for granted and assuming that they're always going to be there no matter what you do or, or if you do nothing at all. Um, and I think, again, it's natural human drives. It's nat- the natural things in us, boredom, you know, complacency, um, you know, blindness to what's right in front of you. You know, like you got, you know, you got a desk in your room, you know, when you first get it, you're like, oh, look at my cool new desk. And then after like two, three years, it's like, yeah, it's your desk. You know, it's like a car, you know, you get a new car and you're like, oh shit, my car. And a year or two in, it's just your fucking car. You know, it's yeah. just, you get used to it. You don't like look at it the way you used to look at it. So I think these are again, natural human drives, but they, we're just not aware of it. You know, we just, we don't, no single raindrops responsible for the flood, you know, but the flood is just a bunch of raindrops. It's all it is. So marriages fall apart because of all these little tiny things and we're just not attentive to it. We don't see it. You know, how, how do, how do people's cars fall apart? You know, it's not that they're just driving down the road and the car explodes one day. It's not like a Pinto, you know, it's like a, like (laughs) the truth is it's, it's lots of bad decisions. You know, it's lots of little choices. It's when you hear the noise and do nothing about it, or you feel the pull and you don't do anything about it. And you go, oh, I'll fix that next week. Or I'll bring, when I bring it in next time, I'll mention it. Yeah. And you say to the person, didn't it, didn't you hear, didn't you feel the, you know, like, yeah, I felt something, but I figured, you know, and you're like, okay, like it, Next time, pull the fuck over, you know? <laughs> well, I, I heard you mention other interviews that um, I think you said that like, People who come in to see you usually end up kind of seeing it through, if I remember correctly. Um, have you seen people that kind of like you explain this to, and then they said, oh, well, I realize what I'm doing here. And like, hey, I'm going to start changing my behaviors. Like if, let's say there are those small disconnections, what would you recommend yeah. people start kind of like fixing these things? Yeah. I mean, I think it starts with yourself. I, I know that's a cliche sounding thing, but I yeah. think it starts with yourself. I, so the first thing I always encourage people to do is to look at themselves honestly and to talk to someone. I, you know, I don't believe necessarily in therapy and in the way that, you know, we, we kind of do it to some degree in the West, which is like, you know, you, you know, you go to therapy, like Woody Allen went to therapy like five days a week for, you know, 
15 years and then married his daughter. So I don't really know that that's like a great guidebook. Um, I, I think, I think, you know, though, that, that like looking at yourself, like examining your own life. And sometimes people do that through reflection. Sometimes people do that through, you know, group discussions. You know, sometimes that's things like 12 step meetings, or it could be through a faith community of some kind, you know, whatever your faith might be. Um, I know people that, that do that kind of self-exploration with psychedelics, um, and, and have found that to be, you know, useful for them. Um, but I think whatever it is, it starts with you looking at yourself honestly and your own behavior and your own mindset and, and, and what that's being influenced by. Um, and then I think once you have that base, that stability, then I think you can start looking honestly at the relationships around you and then trying to be a little more honest. Because there is a realization when you're in a divorce lawyer's office, if it's that bad, there's only like this much worse it can get. Right. So someone with nothing to lose is very, very dangerous, you know, yeah. in a good way. Because if you've got nothing to lose, like, fuck it, you got nothing to lose. Like, try yeah. it. Throw some Hail Mary passes. Like, like listen, what's you're, you're, you're here. You're in a divorce lawyer's office. Like, it is bad right now. So why not give it a shot? You know, why not try some different things and why not change your attitude or change your approach and see if it does anything? And I think that that sometimes pulls people out of their complacency mm. and it puts people in a headspace where they try different things. And sometimes I, you know, I really believe like you can take the same ingredients and make something different with it if you know how to cook right. And I think that sometimes you got to just play a little bit with the ingredients. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So another question that I had, um, I guess these both going to be tied into one. Um, do you think people who tend to like work out more do better in their marriages? And do you think people, if they have differing political views, do you think that works for a marriage? Yeah. So those, I'd see, I see those things as two different things. Okay. So sure. I would say I had a, a friend, a, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu buddy of mine. He passed away very untimely some years ago in his early thirties, but he's a great, great human being. His name's Casey. Casey Van Brukhoven, and, and uh, he was one of my best friends. And um, what, he, he had a beard similar to yours, maybe a little longer. Uh, and he used to always say that women should always date men with beards. And I was always sort of forced to be clean shaven, you know, so you look like a, you know, like, look like a clean cut lawyer because judges <laughs> like it. And, uh, and I was always very envious. And I said, why should women date men with beards? And he says, because to have a beard, it shows that you have patience. He's like, because you had to get through the itchy, shitty stage of it and where it came in patchy and you had like, it shows you, you have to have had patience yeah. to have a nice beard. <laughs> and, and I thought that is really smart. Like that is really astute. And I think the same thing is true of fitness. I think people who are fit understand the value of trading what you want now for what you want most. What I want now is I want to sleep in, but you know what? Nope. I'm going to get up because it's leg day. So I got to go do it. You know, and they understand the nature of sacrifice and they understand the power of hard work and they understand incremental progress mm -hmm. and they understand incremental loss of progress. Yeah. Right. That little tiny little bad decisions and tiny little good decisions. So in fitness, you figure that out. And that is the same lesson in marriage. You know how you do anything is how you do everything. So mm -hmm. I would say that that people who are fit, it's really good. Now, political views, I, I would I would say a couple of things. One, I think polarity in relationships is good, right? So I think I don't want to be married to a replica of me. 
Sure. You know, I, I want to be married to something that is different from me in complementary ways. So mm -hmm. I am a very um, dominant kind of a guy. I, I have a lot of opinions. I'm very decisive. Mm -hmm. So I am naturally drawn to women who like that energy. I'm drawn to women who, you know, like a guy who's that way. So they're a little more submissive, perhaps. And they like someone who's decisive. I don't find it attractive when someone is as decisive and, you know, opinionated necessarily as I am. Again, there's a lid for every pot. Like there's somebody for everybody. That's yeah. for me, the polarity, right? Mm -hmm. And so politically, though, I, I think the danger of that is that people's politics, I mean, I, I forget who said it, but it might have been Stalin who said that. That, that politics is the systematic organization of human hatred, you know? Ooh. So all you're really doing is organizing human hatred in politics mm -hmm. and weaponizing it. And I, I genuinely think that it reflects some very important, like what you feel politically and think politically reflects certain things about values. Mm -hmm. And I think that differences in those things are, are more dangerous Sure. You know, I think there's room in relationships like my mother was a progressive liberal Democrat mm -hmm. and my father was a Reagan conservative Naval Academy graduate Vietnam veteran sure. from the South. And my mom was a Northern, you know, mm -hmm. my dad was Southern Baptist growing up. My mother was a Catholic, German Catholic. Mm -hmm. And they, they made it work like they disagreed on everything political. I don't think they ever voted for the same candidates ever in their entire mm -hmm. lives. He was a Republican. She was a Democrat. They were both, you know. Yeah. But I think I had no choice but to become a lawyer. I had to see both sides of, of, the, of the aisle all the way through. <laughs> but, but for them, this was at a time where the political parties weren't as polarized as they are now. Like Correct. They, they agreed on e pluribus unum. They agreed on the shared vision of America. You know, mm -hmm. they agreed. They disagreed on how you get there. You know, like they, my dad believed in trickle down economics. My mom believed in strong unions um, and, and, and having an antagonistic relationship as labor against against management. Um, and my, my dad was much more about trickle down. And I, I get it, you know, but yeah. they fundamentally they agreed on, you know, faith, on family, on, you know, like we didn't have junk food and soda in our house. You know, like we were, you know, you got a soda on your birthday. You know, that was mm -hmm. one of the treats you got was, you know, you got the soda. So I, I really do think that um, it's important to talk to a potential romantic partner. Just attraction, I don't think is enough. Like, I, sure. I don't think a person should be everything. I don't think you should look for, you know, I, I talked a lot about the soulmate idea that like, it's fucking ridiculous to think someone's going to be the best friend, best roommate, best vacation partner, yeah. best sexual partner, best at, like best at everything. Like that's insane to expect that. Yeah. But I do think, you know, if you're a neat freak and you marry someone who's extremely messy, like you're going to be fucking miserable. Like it's going to be really hard, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think there's certain values. If you have a, a faith and, and you're, you know, the person you're with, you know, has no faith at all or was not raised even with the conception of faith, you know, they, that's going to be very challenging, you know, and also there's something to be said for shared values of that. Kind, yeah. You know, like I, I think that um, having someone who who asks the same kinds of questions you do, you know, is really valuable. You know, so I I think, again, I think that 
polarity is important, but I think that um, the idea that like all you need is love and if there's attraction between the two of you, then everything else you'll figure it out. I think that's overly optimistic. Yeah, I, I think it's completely reasonable and I would agree with that as well. Um, it, it seems like to me, like my wife and I are both pro-life. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, right there we agree. She's relatively apolitical, but I think she more so leans right than anything, as do I as a, you know, very staunch libertarian. I would say more like a conservative libertarian, but like sure. most of my values are going to default right. And she kind of defaults right as well, but is apolitical. So I think in that situation it works. But when I talk to like some of the younger guys, um, you know, a lot of the more libertarian leaning people that I'm kind of friends with that are like 18 to maybe like 25 or so, they're all, you know, real trad. And then once again, kind of, you know, in the same camp as me. And I'm like, well, you guys might have a little bit of a hard time because like, I don't think you're going to find that many right wing women. And if you do, then, you know, they're going to be few and far between. So you're probably better going off with somebody that's just like apolitical. And if they kind of like air your way, you're going to be good. But I think if you're, you know, you're the pro-choice Democrat, and you're a pro-life Republican. That's, I, I don't know how yeah. you square that circle. Yeah. I think it would be hard. And I think, but I think what's even more important is, is underneath each political stance is some philosophy or theology about, you know, the nature of the underlying problem or issue, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, most often when you talk to someone who is pro-life, they're, they're someone who believes very strongly in the sanctity of life. They believe in the divine nature of our soul. They believe in, you know, that there's a whole set of beliefs that underlie that political belief. Mm -hmm. And, and if we're being honest, right, we, we see that if we're, if we're being partisan, so if I'm pro-abortion and I look at you as a pro-life person, I'm not going to say, oh, well, Kyle believes in the sanctity of human life and that every soul is special. And yep. he, I'm going to say he hates women and he wants to yep. hold them down, right? right. I'm going to just go bad fail. faith from minute one. Exactly. And you are not going to look at me and say, you know, Jim is probably thinking about the balance, the difficult balancing test that always needs to be made between when does life begin and when does life end and that which is kind of unknowable and a matter of faith when it comes to that mm -hmm. and the fact that death is inevitable for all of us and the question of when does life properly come into existence and he and I may have different, no, you're going to go, Oh yeah. Jim doesn't give a shit and he loves killing babies. Okay. Well, <laughs> exactly. You know yeah. what? We're going, we're nowhere. We're nowhere then because We've just started in bad faith, you know, and it's one of the reasons why somebody like an Andrew Wilson on the crucible, like he and I, we have very differing perspectives on a number of things, but mm -hmm. he does not engage in bad faith argument. Like he, he engages argument in a pure and thoughtful way and, and yeah. where like his, his logic is consistent. I may not always agree with it, but it's mm -hmm. consistent, you know, right. and, and it's, I, I genuinely respect people who can argue that way. And, right. and so if you have a partner who you disagree on the, like it's an, I know some staunch pro-life people who are also staunchly anti-capital punishment, you know, mm -hmm. sister Helen Prejean, you know, who was made famous from uh, dead man walking um, the book and then the film with Sean Penn and, and Susan Sarandon. She was staunchly pro-life as a, a Catholic nun and also viciously anti-death penalty okay 
Mm-hmm. Now, I know a bunch of people that are pro-life and pro-death penalty, pro-capital punishment. Yeah. And, you know, there are there is a valid school of thought that says, well, wait a minute. How, why, how are we going to kill people who kill people to show that killing people is wrong? You know, right. like I understand the logic of that. Now, I also understand the logic of people who are pro-life and pro-capital punishment because they talk about innocent life versus life that has forfeited its ability. I get it. But yeah. to just... Look at each other and go, yeah, well, this person's just, you know, a bad person. Like th- that that kind of stuff to me is how marriage, it's the same thing with marriages. Like ma- if your spouse, you know, I'm not picking your spouse specifically. I, if, <laughs> if someone's spouse doesn't give them a blowjob or doesn't buy them flowers. Like, look, if you didn't buy your wife flowers tonight, it's not because you don't love her. <laughs> and it's not because... You don't think she's special and you don't want to make her happy. Just like if she didn't give you a blowjob, it's not that she doesn't love you. It's not that she doesn't. It's that other shit got in the way, you know, like other things are going on. Or maybe there is something. Maybe it's that, you know, you said something to her this morning and it upset her and she didn't say something about it. Or maybe she, you know, didn't, wasn't nice to you this week. So you didn't buy her flowers. She didn't give you blood. She didn't get her flowers, you know. (laughs) But the point is, like, I think if, if we can come to it honest and we come to it with a little bit of good faith towards the other person, as opposed to just assuming the fucking worst in the other person. Yeah. And I think we get a lot further in politics and in love. We get a lot further. Yeah, I, I see that a lot, especially in the political realm, where everybody that's pro-life just can't wait to shout about how everybody's killing babies. And I'm like, look, right. if you want people to like actually be convinced of your position, why not just say like, hey, I understand you and I both come from like a different position of when we believe life begins. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and say that like this is your interpretation of that. And I don't think yeah. it's because you think that we should just you know drop a guillotine on all the babies that yeah. are coming out of the womb. It's just we fundamentally, at least at this time, disagree but you know i can't think of anything that would push people away more than to just you know scorn them scold them and same with religious people when they scold people for not being religious and stuff like that like i can't think of a worse way to just shut people out from potentially agreeing with you than doing that and there's so much commonality like if you just look for it there's so much commonality like you could the most staunch pro-choice pro-abortion person Mm -hmm. if you say to them have you met people who've had abortions? They're always going to say yes. We all have. Mm-hmm. And if you say to them, did those people feel really good about it? I'm not saying do they regret the choice. There's some people that say, no, no, I made the right choice. But I have to tell you, there's no one who goes, oh, that was great. Mm-hmm. It's a, That's a traumatic experience. I know a number of women who who say to me, I'm, I'm glad I terminated a pregnancy. But my God, it haunts me. And it was one of the worst, most painful, awful things in my life. And, you know, anybody who believes that's true and cares. And by the way, all the people who are purportedly pro-choice will all say it's because they care about women. Right. That's what Mm -hmm. they'll say. Yeah. And so if you care about women, I think we can agree that a world where as few of them as possible have to go through that experience, that's really, we should all agree on that. We should all right. agree on that. Yeah. You know, so like there is room, there is room for us it, it, on either side of almost any of these issues to like come to some commonality. And it, But again, the only way to do it, just like in, in marriages, the only way to do it is somebody has to have the balls 
to stand down. Right. Like, and, and, and that's not, that's a counterintuitive thing. Like to have the balls to stand down, like to have the balls to go, yeah, I'm not going to do this with you. I'm not right. going to just fight with you for the sake of fighting. Like mm -hmm. I'm going to have the balls to step back from my position and my ego and concede the possibility that maybe you have a point. So help me understand your point and I'll help you understand my point. This is not a sign of weakness. Like right. I, I have to tell you, as someone who's been, you know, training martial arts since I was seven and I have spent some time with some killers, man. Yeah. They, they are the most soft-spoken, calm motherfuckers you ever met in your whole life. Mm -hmm. And there is nothing louder than a dude who has no idea how to fight. The right. dude at the bar who's like, oh, I'm going to take you out back, man. I'm going to fucking, that guy has no idea what he's doing. The guy who could fuck you up is the guy who's like, you know, super quiet until it's time to do what you got to do, you know? And I really think it's the same thing with this. Like the people that are just constantly running their mouths, it's because they just don't have any real confidence in their point of view. They haven't really ever thought it through. They just want to be loud, you know, because they can't be right. So they'll just be loud. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely think there's a lot of that. And you give people social media and they can't wait to blast it out to their followers to be comfortably ignorant and, you know, show off how great they are and beat their chest and all their followers will click and agree, but nobody wants to challenge that. Sure. Go back Listen, everybody wants to, the clickbait on all of this. And I, I even see it on sites that I like all the like, this dude owns the lib and I'll watch him own this. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, you guys, like we're so much fucking better than that. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. I get it. Like, I get, you know, you need the clicks, you need the likes, and that's going to put commerce. I get it. It's commerce, man. We got to eat. Mm -hmm. But I, I I just don't think it's moving us in a direction that is anything but the direction they want us moved in, which is a yeah. direction where we're just busy arguing over shit, you know, instead of actually uniting on the things that mean something, you know. What about creating a world where no one ever has to have an abortion or even wants to have an abortion? Because... Mm -hmm. We're not having unwanted pregnancies. We're not having people who have to make painful economic decisions and don't have food or, or shelter stability in their lives. You know, we are in a world right now where like a hardworking person can't make a living, like just can't make a living, can't buy a home. Mm -hmm. Like the, I mean, did you ever think that like I have health insurance and I'm gonna be able to own a home that that was the american dream like that was gonna be the defined american dream like we could we could be so much better than this you know but this is what we've turned into you know and it doesn't have to be this way you know i i really don't believe it has to be this way i think that on both sides of the political aisle i can't stand people who claim to love america but seem to hate americans yeah. I, I i just don't accept that you know <laughs> i i think that that being a divorce lawyer I represent all kinds of people and I, I got to know all kinds of people. And I have to tell you, when you spend time with the person with a substance use disorder or the person married to someone with a substance use disorder or the perpetrator of domestic violence or the victim of domestic violence, like they're just people. They're just trying to figure it out. Like they're flawed. Most of the time, if they're an abuser, they grew up in a household where there was abuse. Like there's, there's a human emotional complexity like it makes sense when you spend time with people, like you get it, you know? So I, I, I really think we, we are, we are better as human beings than, than these 
you know, these insane dialogues would lead us to believe. Yeah, yeah it's it's really, really uh, tragic. Um, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, yeah. You a lot of it. I really, really appreciate it, James. I got one last question for you, and then we'll uh, rock and roll on out of here. Both work out. Um, what does health look like to you? Health to me is balance. It's balance, you know. Um, health to me is, is balance between, you know, your body, um, your mind, your creativity, um, I, I think you, you know, you represent a certain kind of balance, you know, you have family, you have creative pursuits, you have intellectual pursuits in the form of the podcast, like, you know, you, you I think a, a round, fully rounded person, a balanced person is a healthy person. You know, I, my mother used to say all things in moderation, including moderation. Uh-huh. And and she because she always enjoyed like a hot fudge sundae once in a while or like having yeah. a drink once in a while. Absolutely. And, you know, like I, I have to tell you, like I if I'm ever on a diet that doesn't give me like a cheat day or a cheat meal, fuck that. Like I need that <laughs> in my life, you uh-huh. know, and 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 it makes the rest of it a lot easier, you know. So I think it's about balance. I think that that's what health is. And, and health is, you know, it, it is literally the only thing. I mean, I, I was a hospice volunteer for many years. And when you spend enough time with people who are dying, you realize that, you know, your health, your, your physical health, your emotional health, it's, it's everything. It's the only thing that you have. You know, there, there, any problem that money can solve is not that big of a problem. You know, so health is, 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 is balanced to, to me. Beautiful. Um, I couldn't think of a better way to end the show on. Um, go ahead, give your plugs where everybody can find you and anything you got going on that you want to let Yeah, know. thanks, man. No, I, listen, I, I'm thrilled to have had the chat with you. I appreciate you having me on. I really do enjoy your show, and I, I love your point of view. I think it's great that you're getting, uh, getting out there. And, um, I, I, yeah, you can find me on uh, Instagram at uh, NYC Divorce Lawyer. I'm on Twitter at NYC Divorce Law. Um, and you can learn more about my firm uh, at um, our website, nycdivorces.com. Dot com. That's NYC, like the city divorces, plural, because we do more than one. Uh, NYCdivorces.com. And uh, you can find it all, all our propaganda on that website. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, James. Kyle, it's like great to see you, man. Thanks for having me. Take care. Of course. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.